0: this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have a returning guest, Dr. Mark Cruz. Uh, we had a great conversation last time. Uh, we're going to be talking about airway health and specifically snoring and maybe, uh, you know, rhinitis or, or stuffy noses. So, Mark, thanks for coming back. How are you doing?
1: I'm um, great. Thanks uh, for having me back. Uh, I'm doing well And yourself.
0: Doing good. Yeah, good. I, I, I've done a number of uh, calls since you last spoke, so I hope I'm more informed and I'm finding areas that uh, I see are not often discussed. So one, one area I wanted to bring up with you, if you don't mind, is, uh, you know, I've spoken to a lot of practitioners and when it comes to, you know, having a stuffy nose or a swollen nose, um, I found that it like kills my sleep. You know, I'll wake up 10, 20 times, my mouth will be dry, it just it fragments the, the heck out of it. And when I speak to a lot of people, they go, oh, well, you, you just have to clear your nose. But it's not that simple. So I don't know if you have any insights, techniques, uh, ways to clear your nose, because, you know, myself and I'm sure other people, like some people I know have have had stuffy noses for years. And I don't know what it's doing to their sleep and how they can clear it or affect it. But I just see it's like an overlooked issue. So I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on it.
1: Sure. Uh, Absolutely. So um, that's really uh, central. Um, to um, actually, what uh, w- you know, what I teach um, with with my uh, orthodontic partner uh, Barry Raphael, uh, who I believe you've interviewed as well, and it starts with understanding that there are five competences that you know every mammal, well, every human um, uh, needs, and, and then the first one is nasal breathing. Nasal breathing um, is is central. In fact. There is no other mammalian species on the planet that can exchange gas. That means exchange carbon dioxide for oxygen um, uh, through anything other than their nose. So don't confuse a dog that's panting as gas exchange. That's heat exchange. Uh, Actual gas exchange occurs through the nose. It's only Homo sapiens, modern humans, that can actually have oral tidal breathing and the main reason for that is because we have language and and we need uh, a relatively unstable airway to be able to phonate to make those fine uh, articulation sounds that create is known as language right so uh, um, when we go beyond just speaking and we use uh, oral tidal breathing to exchange gas you know to breathe unless you're really huffing and puffing on the treadmill um it it has some consequences to in fact there are recent studies to show that 50 percent of children just with nasal congestion alone um have um uh uh, suffer from a pro-inflammatory response their whole body is inflamed so we know that that nose breathing is very very important okay
0: and um a couple of things i've noticed is um I rarely have both nostrils open. I don't know if that's common or not, or if most people do no, have both nostrils normal. open.
1: That's normal. Okay. That's normal. It's defined as the nasal cycle. And so the nasal cycle has been defined as um, uh, the uh, each nares alternates about every 90 minutes, uh, where the external valve uh, closes on one side and opens on the other. And you yeah. Wouldn't yeah. notice it because the resistance uh, in a normal uh, patent uh, nose—you um, you can't really sense it unless you have either a deviated septum or uh, swollen turbinates on one side or uh, increased resistance on one side. Then, when the good side closes, then you'll notice that you can't breathe very well. In fact, if you're in a busy day, uh, you'll probably just transition to oral tidal breathing without even thinking about it. And then, when the other good side opens the valve opens where you can breathe through your nose you probably won't go back to it you won't repattern your breathing and hence you'll have a tendency to 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 breathe more from your your mouth and that could create uh, again a, a many many problems so does that make sense
0: no that's interesting i've noticed that it switches throughout the day for me when when my nose is doing well why does that happen
1: well i mean that's that's uh uh you know that's normal physiology it's what we're designed uh again with the nasal cycle and, and so, um, that's why you have to have both, uh, sides patent, uh, or functioning. And in fact, the breathe rights that you see the athletes wear to enhance performance mm. leverages, uh, that idea because, uh, when you put these, uh, these, uh, breathe rights on the external aspect of the nose, it, it basically opens up both valves. So you can breathe through you know, uh, a bigger manifold, if you will, throughout athletic performance. And, and so um, you know, that's, that's a whole rationale. Uh, there's a, a, the caudal maneuver is a way also to test that where you kind of stretch the nares uh, by right below the nares on your face to one side. And you'll notice it opens up the nasal passage where you have less resistance to, uh, to breathing typically. Uh Unless you have very collapsible uh valves, but you'll you'll be able to tell on the left and the right um you know in fact you could assess function that way with this caudal maneuver
0: hmm. so what do you do if your nose is stuffed up you know sometimes uh i i I've had two things happen you know one it's stuffed up, you blow it, stuff comes out, mucus comes out, and it's clear for a little while. The other one is rare, but sometimes my nose will just be swollen, nothing comes out is just swollen, and that's even worse right because you know like, so what do you do to clear your nose if you're having a problem
1: so i you know it it, it depends on on the problem so you described a number of different scenarios I mean a frank infection uh, or inflammation um, uh, you know uh, allergens because you have a lot of histamine release because there are uh, antigens that been introduced into the mucosa of the nose that degranulates the the, histi- uh, the the mucosal cells that release histamine. That's all pro-inflammatory. You get the swelling. You can have basal motor rhinitis, which has more to do with an autonomic nervous system response. So it really depends. So if, let's say the turbinates, which are structures in the nose on left and the right side that uh, are designed to actually slow the flow of air, uh, it creates turbulence to slow the air before it goes into the lungs to condition it. It humidifies it. It brings it up to, uh, uh, to body temperature. And then, uh, it's in an environment where there's a release of nitric oxide with a sulfur center that actually is antibacterial antiviral. It actually kills the bugs, um, for the most part, before they actually um, uh, are able to, to enter into the lung, another reason why you want to breathe through the nose versus mouth breathing, where it's unfiltered, and it's a free pass for the uh, uh, bacteria and the, uh, the viruses. So, um, but that those are those are normal structures that can become swollen for any of a number of reasons. Just it, mouth breathing by itself will cause the turbinates to swell. So there are, there are a number of different maneuvers. So it, again, it depends if I'm seeing a kid or an adult that has that problem. I try to rule out whether it's, it's, it's a structural problem, which is usually the exception, like let's say a deviated septum. And by the way, most deviated septums are not as a result of a nose fracture or fracture of the septum, um, because this is deeper than uh, the external nose per se. But if you have a deviated septum through growth and development where uh, the, um, the midline septum, um, buckles to one side, uh, then you're going to have a lot of resistance and, and be unable to breathe very easily on, on that side. That has to be fixed. Um, otherwise if it's, uh, the, the, the rule, which is inflammation from any number of reasons, it needs to be, uh, it should be addressed with conservative measures first. So you can use the neti pot. Everyone knows what a neti pot or, a neomed is something that uh, you have um, conditioned water that's a hyposaline uh, solution. Like um, it, it's got, uh, it has saline. You could purchase this at any CVS or Walgreens drugstore, uh, Costco, um, where you put the saline in, you warm up the water, um, and you irrigate each nostril. Now they have these um, power-driven. Uh, neti pots as well, and and what you want to do is you want to um, lavage each side to clear out any of the gunk. Blow your nose, and then keep your lips together and breathe. And you know it's something that we should routinely do, and yet it's not something that we talk about very much unless we're really having a problem. But it's uh, it's part of it's like brush. I tell my patients it's like brushing your teeth or taking a shower. Um, it, it, you need to uh, to uh, uh, keep your nose clean. It is very important. We, we need to teach our kids how to blow their nose properly without blowing mucus uh, into the Eustachian t- tube. So there, there are ways of doing that. But the, the point is, is you don't ne- let that naturally uh, produ- produced mucus that has its purpose, you don't want it to Uh, create so much resistance to breathing that now you're breathing through your mouth. So um, normal hygiene with a neti pot would be uh, good. If um, there's still some swelling, you can go through over the counter now. You can go and and purchase Nasacort, uh, Nasanex. There there are a number of different of these um, steroids, if you will. They're topical steroids that you can use right after you do the neti pot Uh, but again if you don't deal with the underlying problem it's going to recur and you're going to become dependent on it so you you just want to use it if necessary and if so you use it for a very short term um uh, a couple weeks to a few weeks um otherwise if it continues then you have to have that uh an ENT uh typically I would refer an ENT to, to have it looked at or I'd assess it with a cone beam tomography or um there you can use a speculum and 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 look up it now I'm a dentist but um uh I know that how we breathe through the nose also affects dental health, and that's its own discussion. I know we're not going to talk about that, but that's why I find it very important to to understand that. So those are the main measures that are conservative to be able to breathe through the nose. Uh, another one, if you have congestion, is to uh, to do what's called the control pause, where you basically pinch your nose and um, and you you wait until you have that response from your brainstem that says, take that next breath. And at that moment, you release the nose and then take a very, very light breath. Even though you want to bring in um, uh, the the air with a lot of turbulence, you want to uh, breathe in very slowly, not with a lot of turbulence. And what that uh, will do is it'll open up the valves, almost like you turn on a switch. You could practice it uh, one or two times, but after a while, you'll see you can open up your, even when you're congested, when you have a cold or a flu, with no drug at all, you could, if you, if you know how to do it, you can uh, open up your uh, nasal passages and start breathing through your nose again. And so you can Google that. Just do control pause. Uh, Buteco is another word you can use as a uh, as a mesh term, and it'll pull up. Um, how to clear your nose that way. And we try to teach that to kids as well so that they're able to breathe through their nose. So those are a number of uh, conservative measures.
0: Do you think it would be um, helpful if someone developed a lozenge that you could suck on that would release nitric oxide enough when you have to mouth breathe? Do you think that would be useful? Uh,
1: No, not really, uh, because you have to understand, first of all, nitric oxide, and, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, there are three... Physiologists, physicians, researchers that, you know, received the Nobel Prize for discovering this transient signaling molecule that's produced mostly in the nasal passages in the cilia and that are very, very transient. And uh, it also, uh, you could find it throughout the endothelium lying you know, within uh, the vasculature, which largely uh, helps to dictate um, uh, vascular function. Um, so just taking it in a lozenge, it's, it's, it's not going to, um, it's not going to work. It's not going to work the same. The physiology is not the same. I mean, you you know, you have these super beats, uh, these, um, type of, um, uh, powders that you could put in your water to drink that, you know, elevates, uh, your energy, um, that, has a you know that's a different function that has to do with ATP and energy production and and there there's some anecdotal um, evidence uh, that that there could be a benefit there but for what I'm talking about uh, within the nasal capsule um, no it's not going to help nasal function per se that I know of I have not read any uh credible study that actually would uh would suggest uh would suggest that and it doesn't make sense to me physiologically quite honestly
0: well i just think because you're, you're missing it if you mouth breathe so if you replace it what would that do would it help you now?
1: well it, it's it's not that you're missing it because you're mouth breathing it it's just that you're not producing it because you're mouth breathing it's produced through the process of nasal breathing where there's this uh uh light resistance that stimulates the cilia within the membrane uh that actually uh automatically releases this um in nanoseconds it it lasts for nanoseconds uh this transient signaling molecule and so um you know we always try to come up with that magic bullet without really understanding it's kind of like saying you know um uh, an egg that is intact and uh, with an eggshell is not an egg. That same egg that's been scrambled in a pan. I mean, the contents are exactly the same, but the way that they're structured changes uh, uh, materially how it's gonna it, it's gonna function. If that makes sense. So, so just because you have uh, the exact material, it has to be structured in a certain way to function physiologically the way it was intended. And so you know, that's why a lot of pharmaceutical uh, interventions have what we call side effects, right? You know, so we can get the good out of some of these chemotherapeutic um, um, interventions, but they're not exactly the way the body is, is um, you know, intended to function. So you have some of these side reactions that create these side effects. And and so I, I always like to think more in organic terms. I'm not saying that's a good or bad. It's just to to m- explain how just having a lozenge that, ha- that releases nitric oxide is not necessarily going to enhance nasal function.
0: Okay. So w- what have you observed to be the short-term and the long-term consequences of someone, you know, predominantly mouth breathing?
1: Oh gosh. There's there vo- there volumes of studies now actually showing um, that in children, just if, if they cannot breathe through their nose, 90% of the time during sleep, that um, it, it could result in growth retardation. Why? Because it it is a major risk factor. As you said in the beginning, in your own words, when you can't breathe through your nose, you don't sleep very well. It, it perturbs sleep. And when you perturb sleep, uh, the hypothalamus cannot release its growth hormone, uh, the metabolic hormones. Uh, the catabolic hormones, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there are now studies as a systematic review that came out of um, uh, the European literature looking at 247 articles. They distilled it down to I think, something like 49 articles that basically uh, concluded that um, mouth breathing by itself should be considered a major respect for growth retardation. That's just, that's just cool. one example. There's vascular remodeling, endothelial dysfunction, Um, There's so many of these connections that that, um, also release IL-6, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine. Uh, So we can go on and on with a lot of that physiology that is um, uh, perturbed by not being able to breathe through the nose. And that's one, one of the reasons why we explain to the parent, okay, you catch a cold, a flu, fine. But when it's always the case, or the kid always has chapped lips or they'll it, it's that's just on the physiologic level as it pertains to growth and development as a dentist that is the main one of the main risk factors for dental crowding because the face does not develop properly so there's not enough arch development and so they're a cascade of a number of of problems when we don't do the very simple function of breathing through our noses when we don't do that well uh it, it creates a lots of problem lots of problems and 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 the medical literature is replete uh, with um, with uh, studies actually showing that. So it's not anything that's a controversy. It's sa- same thing in, in dentistry as well.
0: Yeah, this is why I asked you about it. Because when people mouth breathe, when they sleep, for instance, they, they're they not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they, I guess, they have to. And why do they have to? Because, I mean, is it, is it right to say it's because their nose is compromised? I mean, like, well, I would, it, you know... But... Hey, to, the reasons:
1: Not to interrupt, but I, I'd argue that it's not that they want to. Um, it, it's that sometimes it's a structural problem. Sometimes it's a functional problem, functional problem, and sometimes it's a behavioral problem. So there are many people who can easily breathe through their nose, but they have a, a, a behavior, for whatever reason, uh, to breathe through their mouth. Um, and and so um behavior you know to quote um a good friend and world-renowned physiologist in in this subject uh peter litchfield um would say behavior is physiology in action so um you have a a behavior and their therapies actually to repattern that moreover the problem not only is with the fact that you can't breathe well through your nose, when you uh, 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 that you can't sleep well when you can't breathe through your nose, it also is a major risk factor for having what's called low end tidal CO2. So that's the amount of reserve CO2 or carbon dioxide in your lungs, and that's measured. And every physician knows that, that it's a it, that that it should be somewhere between 30, uh, somewhere around thirty-five millimeters of mercury pressure of having carbon dioxide. In your lungs, and I'm not going to go into all the physiology, but ultimately, um, that when you have it below that level, it portends toward unstable breathing. So when you're mouth breathing, you're uh, moving um, a large amounts of tidal volume, and you're blowing off too much carbon dioxide, and the hemoglobin releases the oxygen um, to the end organ uh, tissue. As a function of that CO2 gradient, meaning that oh. if you're breathing over, if you're overventilating, um, we know that you'll pass out or you'll become hysterical and it'll stimulate a fight or flight response. But if it's more nuanced, just over breathing, over breathing is just as bad as overeating, it has a big physiologic effect that, of course, also disorders your breathing at night. It's a risk factor for. So that's a huge discussion right there is, wow. um, you know, a lot of people are in a state of chronic respiratory alkalosis. And that also causes uh, or upregulates sympathetic drive or, or adrenal function. And so that's another discussion there. So that's why when people, uh, you know, take meditate, or they take yoga, they feel better because they're concentrating on the breathing. But more importantly, is they um, their hemoglobin is easily releasing the oxygen. You're getting vasodilation, good rich blood supply to the brain, to the organs, you feel relaxed. And and so we've known about that for thousands of years. Um, and so just the simple function of breathing properly um, is is key. And that's why we say breathing through the nose, lips together, tongue on the roof of the mouth that seals off the uh the oral cavity to breathing. Um, a non-collapsing pharynx during sleep and diaphragmatic breathing are the five competences we want to see with our patients. When they don't do that, they're at high risk for a number of things. Clenching, grinding, sleep ruxism, uh, reflux, uh, a lot of things that are treated as, as isolated symptoms without understanding oftentimes what some of the major risk factors are.
0: Oh, wow. Huh. This is really interesting. It's amazing all the, all the things that are involved. It really is.
1: Yeah, we 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 tend to have a mechanistic view of the body. Like, you know, we're, we're so hyper specialized and siloed in healthcare that I always joke how we're so specialized that we're learning more and more about less and less until we know nothing and we lose our way <laughs> understanding the global view of how the body works. And so we have to, there are some big movements in healthcare to actually kind of step back a little bit. And, and really understand um, how we're supposed to function. Because as I like to say, there's a difference between not being sick and being well. And, mm-hmm. and you, can't, you have to make that distinction. And our healthcare system largely panders to not being sick. Okay.
0: Interesting. Um, if you don't mind going back to the, um, you know, not breathing through your nose, you say it's behavioral, it's structural. Uh, I forget the other terms you used. What are Functional. the percentages on... Sorry? Functional, Functional structural,
1: yes. and behavioral.
0: What, what are the percentages on that? Like, what are the... You know, if you were to look at a large sample of people, what percentage of them don't breathe through the nose because of structural problems? What percentage because of other problems? You know, how would you break it down?
1: Well, you know, um, I always like to use um, uh, good statistics. Uh, I can uh, only tell you that... Um, it's probably a combination. Um, I mean, this is a huge problem. There are studies that have actually looked at breathing rates, for example, going back uh, to uh, the 1940s all the way through the 2000s that have actually shown uh, that current Western populations uh, are breathing at a faster and faster rate. And we know that because, you know, good old fashioned, um, Uh, Doctors' visits used to, you know, look at breathing rate, right, along with the blood pressure, height, weight, um, uh, heart rate, etc. And so it's been pretty well documented as large data sets uh, comparing decade to decade, and it's been shown that um, we've we've actually increased that breathing rate, and in part, someone suggests that it's a a risk factor for why we're seeing more chronic pro-inflammatory diseases. In fact. If you look at the most recent um, statistics in the world, from the World Health Organization of the top 10 causes of death, it's pretty staggering um, how uh, uh, about 90% of what we're dying from uh, globally, not just in the West, are from reasons that were largely unknown uh, just uh, a few decades ago. What we call the non-communicable diseases, and so this is all um, you know related to that. It's our environment that, for so many reasons—from how you're born to what you eat to how you sleep, how you breathe—I can go on and on. That's actually yeah. what's, what's making us uh, what's making us sick. And you probably heard on the national news about two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago. Um, uh, where uh, medical science is actually uh, stating that uh, it's known that life expectancy has actually become shorter. And it's a trend now. It's becoming shorter. This is the first generation of children that will not outlive their parents, even though we're spending more money in healthcare than we ever have before. And it's largely for um, a a lot of the reasons that I just uh, mentioned, but that's large data. And so... um, to give you a specific as to how much of its structure, how much of it's functional, um, how much of it is, um, uh, behavioral w- w- would be just a guess. It's a combination of all. That's the other thing. Most things, most of these problems are multifactorial uh, and, and we can't just isolate one thing. We can't be so siloed in our thinking. We have to kind of step back and look at all the risk factors.
0: Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I just, yeah, I've, I've run into many practitioners that uh, don't talk about any of the risk factors. They just want to give you a medication. You know, here, take phonase. Uh, you know, bye, have a nice day. Or, oh, let's just do surgery. So it's, well, yeah, unfortunately, so I think it's very rare to find someone that's willing to even think about that.
1: Well, you know, there, there are a number of reasons. First of all, uh, you know, uh, that's just part of the healthcare system. All of us, whether you're a dentist, whether you're a physician, whether you're an allied health professional, largely less so the allied health professionals, but you know mostly dental and, and medical professionals um, are edu- We're all educated on disease management. The way we make our living is by getting people out of pain. You, it, it, it is um, much more difficult. It takes much more time to spend the time. To garner the underlying reason. Moreover, the the American public has pretty much been trained that the magic pill or that device or that, you know, whatever it is, is, you know, is the solution. And so um, if you're a healthcare practitioner, you know, at the end of the day in feeding your family and taking care of them, you know, you don't want to sit around talking to the patients all day who may or may not want to hear it anyway. They just want a prescription. You know, they just want a lab test. Uh, the system is kind of set up to pander towards disease management. And, and, and so again, there's some big movements in healthcare that have actually realized that we have to do things differently in, in measuring outcomes and, and really uh, focusing more on, on etiology or, you know, what's yeah. causing the problem. But, you know, when you've got pharmaceutical companies that have are spent, spending, you know, you, you go and turn on the TV, how long are those announce- those commercials and they're constant, they're not just in the, right, e- yeah, e- yeah. they're infomercials. It's, it's trillions of dollars, a healthcare system. There's, there's no money in health. Uh, there's a Shit. lot of money in sickness and in death. I mean, that's, you know, it's yeah, that, yeah. just fact.
0: That's why I do this podcast
1: because
0: I uh, become a health nerd and uh, the people listening, I don't think that they're just run of the mill people. They're listening because they really want to know a lot more. And they have some problem that's either been, just naysayed by a doctor or they can't fix and it's really irking them. And then they're open to, you know, beyond the traditional type of purchase. So that's like you know, the whole point here.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. You know, the other part, part I mentioned is again, you have a system that's very siloed. So the cardiologist doesn't speak to the urologist doesn't speak to the pulmonologist. doesn't speak to the mm-hmm. internal medicine. No one speaks to each other. Everyone's kind of, they'll refer out, but there's very little integration of care. Cause that takes time and effort and, and um, you know, you have different competing medical groups and, and, you know, and, and so it's, it's not a right or wrong. It's just, it's just what it is. The other that my concern though, is, is that um, it makes the internet, you know, uh, medicine or, or, or healthcare by the internet uh, very easy to do because people are looking for it and there's a lot of misinformation or there are a lot of agendas out there And most people aren't educated enough to be able to filter there. They may be very educated and very, uh, very intelligent, but to actually filter through the evidence and understand and apprise it as to its value uh, is, is, is difficult, you know, and, and there are a lot of uh, biases and, and so I'm concerned. So for me, I try to combine the allopathic approach, which is the way I was trained, but also with uh, taking a a, a global holistic approach. And when I say holistic, I'm saying W-H, not H-O, holistic. You know, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of stepping back and looking at the whole thing and, and understand that there's more that I don't know than what I do know. And so I'm not so contemptuous to say that's not the case. I just want to ask more questions and, 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 and uh, no more. So I'm open, but I'm skeptical.
0: All right, all right. Well, um, I did want to ask you also, if you don't mind, about snoring. Yes. Um, apnea, I've spoken a lot about, you know, yes. incredibly serious. But snoring, I don't know, it just seems like uh, bypassed. I, you know, from what I've read, 25% or more of couples don't sleep in the same bed. Well, they, don't, they start in the same bed, and then one partner leaves during the night because someone's snoring. You know, I've snored for years, and it's embarrassing, and you don't mean to do it, um, but I wanted to talk to you about the health consequences of it. You know, if you're a light snorer, a heavy snorer, you know, what's going on? First of all, it causes people snoring, and then what are the health effects of it?
1: Well, yeah, so uh, 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 a number of things that you mentioned, and by the way, you, you sound very hypernasal, so I don't think you could breathe through your nose very well right now. I could hear it. <laughs>
0: yeah i've got I've got one nostril going, but uh that's it i've been've had allergies lately so yeah, Dude, yeah. To it, it, it,
1: just to be clear, it's not an accusation it's just something i, I you know I can hear I'm, I'm, I'm really attuned to it but um so a couple of things first of all, snoring is part and parcel of a spectrum of disorders uh, 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 uh sleep breathing disorders, and what used to be called then an innocent snore is not so innocent in fact. We know that uh, snoring by itself and pregnancy um, can have downstream fetal consequences, uh, increased risk for preeclampsia, increased risk for gestational diabetes, uh, increased risk for adverse birth uh, uh, outcomes like small for gestational uh, uh, age, et cetera, et cetera. So think of snoring as a collapsing airway. The reason why one snores is because the ference, somewhere along its length, um, is collapsing, and the collapsing increases the turbulence that releases this energy, if you will, that causes um, that tissue to flap, and our ears interpret that as that sound that we call snoring. So uh, an individual that snores uh, violently, for example, let's say a male um, that uh, has that... Um, we know that that's a big risk factor for carotid calcifications, so it's not so innocent. So the blood through the internal carotids that's coursing uh, in the neck there along where, it's, where the uh, individual is snoring is causing precipitation of calcium out of the blood, lining the, uh, the, uh, the uh, internal uh, carotid uh, to potentially be a life-threatening uh, uh, issue, so it's not so uh, innocent. Dr. David Gosal, who's uh, the head of uh, physician-in-chief at uh, uh, Brigham and Children's Hospital um, in Columbia, Missouri, has actually stated uh, on the record that snoring uh, should never occur. We shouldn't accept it, you know, unless you have this uh, acute uh, cold or flu one night or two nights, okay? But it shouldn't be such that uh, a spouse is moving out of the bedroom. That's, and yet we ignore it all the time to our demise, Uh, When you start understanding what the ramifications are, what the risks are for stroke, Alzheimer's, uh, atrial fibrillation, uh, arrhythmias, fatal arrhythmias, metabolic dysregulation, uh, all kinds of problems, it's not so innocent. So we should never snore. There is no other mammalian species that snores. In fact, it's well Well, dogs do
0: sometimes, but what's that? dogs do sometimes
1: well yeah, they're westernized with the diets that we put them on and we've bred them uh, to ways where for example with pugs and and these the the flat-faced uh canines you know if we've bred that into them uh in fact you talk to any uh veterinarian uh they would say that the life expectancy of one of those breeds is directly related to how early the, that airway problem is uh is resolved um and and so that's called brace, brachycephalic syndrome ask any vet so we know that yeah so that's not a good example um uh, we've actually fostered that into because it's flat-faced those dogs are flat-faced they're more like humans than a collie or a german shepherd that actually has a snout which is like most canine species you know in the wild you don't see a wolf with um, or a coyote, uh, I will guarantee you they are not snoring. Homo sapiens, we did not snore um, um, uh, just a century ago, and that's pretty well documented um, as well. We just didn't snore. In fact, think about it: if you're, you know, if, if you're uh, someone that's snoring out in the wild, your food, you're uh, ringing the dinner bell. At night,
0: I was—I was just thinking that, yeah, you'd alert predators,
1: right? You alert predators, but also within the Indian uh, Indian tribes back uh, h- hundreds of years ago, that's very well documented. Everyone was very quiet. The enemy would uh, would hear in the forest at night, you know, whether uh, you know if they can hear snoring off in the distance, they know they can ransack a tribe. They don't snore, and that's very well documented. So, uh, the fact that we've culturally accepted it to where now. Um, they're building a master plan uh, homes with two master suites. I mean, that's how ridiculous. We don't take care of the problem. We just, really? it, it just we, you know, we just, you know, come up with other solutions. And and so that's just a cultural problem.
0: So okay, with all the disorders you talked about, atrial fibrillation, you know, uh, metabolic problems, et cetera, I've heard that all linked to apnea. Are you saying it's all linked to snoring as well? Even if a person doesn't have apnea.
1: Yeah, so snoring, uh, um, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a spectrum. So you could start snoring, and then it could progress to, uh, to what's called um, upper air resistance syndrome, otherwise known as inspiratory flow limitation, and then to early, uh, moderate, and severe sleep apnea, which is an end stage. And it progresses because within the pharynx, within that airway, It's populated with nerve endings that are called mechanoreceptors. There have been over a dozen of these uh, mechanoreceptors that have been well studied that are very sensitive to pressure, changes in pressure uh, changes in the patency or openness of the airway, the vibration by itself and the reflux that engenders actually destroys those nerve endings to where now it doesn't communicate with the brainstem. And so now the muscle tone uh, is lost. Moreover, one of the structures that's damaged early and often uh, is is, uh, the the cerebellum, the right side of the cerebellum. And the cerebellum has two functions, one of which is governing uh, muscle function throughout the body. So there's this whole cascade or a spiral of events that, um, that, that progresses probably about five to seven years ago, there was a discussion as to whether, you know, uh, um, upper air resistance syndrome was a different condition than say, obstructive sleep apnea or or snoring. And now there's enough um, uh, evidence out there um, to actually show pretty strongly that it's all the same thing. It's just a spectrum, Um, just like weight gain. You know, you just gain a little bit of weight and then, you know, five years later, uh, you're, you're, you're actually heavy and, and, and you just buy larger and larger waist sides. And, you know, em- eventually you need to become obese. It didn't happen overnight. You know, children are rarely born obese. It's, it's what we become. And when we become that, you could start seeing that our physiology is going to adapt and compensate of which snoring is just a symptom.
0: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. So, um, if snoring is affecting the tissues, of the pharynx, and that whole area,
1: can you strengthen those tissues to uh, stop course. snoring or like, you know, like, yeah, right. It, well, exactly. can so again, it depends on structure and, and function mostly. Uh, but um, you know, the Brazilians have known for much longer than we in the United States and, and in other parts of the Europe, uh, of Europe uh, the whole science of uh, myofunctional therapy. And, and so uh, there are now studies in uh, sleep medicine actually showing that myofunctional therapy uh, actually can uh, have a ve- very positive effect to restoring normal function and obviating um, the, um, the, um, the, um, that turbulent airflow. It may not fix it completely. It depends on how um, progressed the, the condition is. But uh, it, it does two things. One is it tones the various muscles that are involved in maintaining that, that uh, stiffness within the pharynx, of which the tongue is one of the major uh, aspects of it. It's number one job is it's an airway dilator muscle. Speech and deglutition or swallowing are secondary and tertiary functions. It's a main Airway dilator muscle, along with the diaphragm, both must be coordinated to obviate the apnea or hypopneas that cause sleep apnea. But you can actually repattern and strengthen that by toning it. But the other part of it is you can actually, um, and there's studies to show you can actually repair the right side of the cerebellum, which is damaged from uh, years of chronic intermittent hypoxia that cause part of the uh, dysfunction with these muscles, it, it, it actually doesn't repair the old damaged neurons, but it, it creates new neural connections. Um, you know, the studies with the Digiridoo uh, that actually does the same thing. There are studies that actually show even within a family where you have one sibling that, uh, that pr- plays a trumpet or a wind instrument and the other that plays a guitar, that the one that plays the wind instrument, they have better airway function because they're toning you know, those muscles in the cerebellum um, and, and how it's functioning, it's more effortless. Just like any athletic endeavor, those muscles, um, you know, uh, function similarly. So, yes, to answer your question, uh, you can. Uh, uh, but it depends on how late in the game you're catching the problem.
0: Well, OK. So as a child, it sounds like a lot can be done. But what about as an adult? How much can be done? And, you know, does it take years? Like, what, what have you seen possible?
1: uh uh typically not um so i mean it's that's a complex um um discussion but i just kind of summarized to say yes uh with adults we do it all the time and it and and, and you know it, it requires a commitment it's like going to the gym of at least a few years up to a few months up to a year depending on the the specific muscle sets that are involved they're not always involved Uh, In every, every patient. And and by the way, you can measure that. I, I, in my office, I measure, I I like measuring everything with validated metrics um, to see how much the therapy is actually uh, uh, working versus just being very qualitative or subjective in it. So you could, you can measure it and, um, um, you know, gain, gain quite a bit of strength as, as we always like to say, like in any muscle, it requires intensity frequency and duration and it's like going to the gym you know you're going to get stronger if you do several sets and you're doing it on a regular basis and you've got pretty good intensity where you're pushing yourself uh to the point where not you're damaging yourself but you're 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 building strength right and and um and so it's the same thing with uh any other muscle is is a lot of people you know they don't want to do it if you go if you have a gym membership or you have a jump yeah. rope and it just hangs in your garage, it's not gonna do you much good. You know, right,
0: right. you actually have to is, use is, it, but it's pretty predictable. Is, is there such thing as a snoring gym? <laughs> or a store a snoring, you know, a snoring Well, you know, program? it's
1: funny that you say that, you know, but you you hear these, at least on the West Coast, um, they're are actually uh uh gyms that they have, you know, how they have Zumba and they have Jazzercise, and they have all these uh that they'll actually have um uh uh, sessions where you're actually uh, working on facial muscles, which, by the way, also um, will help make you more youthful looking instead of sagging. Um, and and, um, and and so that, yes, there's a lot that 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 can be done. But you know, for the most part, the best analogy is just using myofunctional therapy, which is a structured, uh, guided uh, program by uh, a trained, properly trained therapist.
0: Okay, well, we're we're short on time, but just what's involved in myofunctional therapy? Maybe a few points that you've you've
1: observed. So, uh, you know, again, it depends on uh, the problem. So you can have, for example, uh, a tongue tie. It's called ankyloglossia, where the tongue has lost mobility and there have been compensations that needs to be addressed. But that occurs only about 20% of the time. Most of the time, it's uh, not a structural problem like that that needs to actually be released. Most of the time, it's a functional problem. And it's, it's a number of different muscles. And they're different, uh, there are different therapists that are licensed differently in each state that have different competences. So you have occupational therapists. You have speech and language pathologists, also feeding therapists. You have physical therapists that have a focus on myofunction, For myofunctional therapists. So there's this general area uh, that covers all these different therapies, um, of which different individuals have different subsets of knowledge uh, that may be appropriate for a specific uh, diagnosis. Um, um, So oftentimes, You know, an occupational therapist might be focused just on feeding. There's a problem with feeding. It takes uh, uh, more than a dozen muscles in very specific sequence to actually swallow without choking. And that's a problem because choking, uh, you know, it's the fourth leading cause of accidental death in the United States. We're the only mammal that has that problem. Um, uh, Or a speech and language pathologist that is dealing with a child. They can't phonate, make their cymbal sounds or the fricative sounds. It's affecting their school performance. And that could be a motor problem. It could be hypotonicity in specific muscles that can be retoned. Um, the, uh, the, the They didn't transition in their feeding. It's a huge discussion. But the point is, is you have a lot of different disciplines that deal with this functional aspect of the problem.
0: Oh, okay. Sheesh. I guess the, the remaining question for now, even though we could have, you know, 10 more hours of discussion. Yes. How do you find people that are going to have this view? You know, like, there's 8 million dentists out there. There's plenty of ENTs. There's, what are some keywords people can use or directories or something to find these good people to work with? Like, you know, not everyone can work with you. Right. So maybe uh, let people know, how do they find these superstars?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm working with uh, a number of my colleagues to really change that uh, at the level of the American Dental Association. you know, formally, we've actually had um, discussions and there are resolutions to change uh, to change that. Uh, the World Health Organization, in collaboration with the World Health uh, with uh, the uh, World Federation General Assembly in two thousand and sixteen, redefined. Uh, oral health to include uh, physiologic status, including uh, these topics that we're talking about. So there's a global movement to trying to change our education set to treat the patient attached to the teeth rather than the teeth attached to the patient. And and so um, I think, you know, any any terms like uh, airway, myofunction, gosh, you know, I, I'd have to really think about what what terms, but I think airway health, airway function, um, snoring, sleep disordered breathing, um, those will put put you in, in, in a general direction. Um, You know, um, I, I certainly know um, therapists and, and dentists and physicians uh, of all stripes all over the country. Uh, We're all kind of holding hands, trying to, to, to work together to, Uh, to change this yeah because we know the problem is huge and no one location no one therapist or or healthcare provider can deal with the magnitude of the problem so we must get the word out and what you're doing right now is huge you can't underestimate just raising awareness um it is huge every day i see people that come in and go gosh i've seen so many different um, healthcare providers for all these different symptoms and they all have all these different opinions and no one ever talked to me about my sleeping. No one ever talked to me about my snoring or right. about my breathing or about all those types of things. But I think that's changing in uh, otolaryngology uh, ENTs and, or pulmonology and sleep medicine, uh, internal medicine. Pediatricians are starting to ask questions that they never did before. Um, well, that's, good. that's good. Yeah. I mean, they, they sh- this should be part of a well check is to ask the parent about sleep tracking. The problem yes. is most parents don't know what normal is. They figure the kid goes to sleep, they wake up, they must have slept. But there's a big difference between good sleep and poor sleep.
0: Yeah, I you know what I've noticed is that, you know, I have a project in the sleep world, which, you know, will be outside of the podcast I'll talk to you about. But sure. um, I've noticed that people don't really think about their sleep until you ask them. And then they go, like, I've had a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I sleep pretty well. But then when you talk to them, you realize that they don't but they don't even realize it themselves. It's just like someone that snores. You have no clue that you just snored. You know, I've woken up and my kids go, dad, you were snoring. I have no clue I did. Of course. Like, so the whole act of sleeping, you know, it's obvious, but you're not conscious. So you're therefore not conscious about what's going on. And it's just like dreams. You wake up and then after 15, 20 minutes, it's gone for the most part. I think everything that happens during your sleep very quickly fades from your thoughts as you're awake and you get into your day and therefore people just if you don't sit there and think about your sleep you'll have no clue what's going on with you even and it sounds silly because you're the one having the problem or not but that's what i've noticed
1: yeah no so you're, you're right that's why you have to measure it i mean why do you go see your internist what do they do is they they take a blood pressure right they're they're screening for a condition that's silent or a dentist that's you know doing a periodontal probing to screen for periodontal disease it's silent, doesn't hurt till it's in its later stages. Um, and, and that's really what um, I'm advocating is that the entire dental profession should be, um, uh, as a frontline healthcare provider, should be screening for this very, very common problem. And more and more, we're seeing that. In fact, I'm involved right now in an uh, uh, IR, IRB, an Institutional Review Board uh, a clinical trial uh, with four clinical centers, we're actually uh, looking at uh, how to objectively screen children for this problem. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I'm anticipating in uh, 2020 we'll, we'll actually have um, our, our uh, study come out being uh, be in print, but we believe that it'll be a very good way of changing the way we practice that we start uh, actually screening for this, uh, 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 this problem that is inexpensive. It doesn't hurt uh, any more so than taking a blood pressure and uh, it, it screens for a very common problem. So uh, we're making changes.
0: Yeah. Well, very good. Mark, I, I really appreciate your time. What What's the best way for folks to get in touch with you or to read papers you put out or to, you know, I guess they ask no, questions,
1: you know, I'm, I'm not one to, to promote, <laughs> to promote myself. I'm pretty busy, but, uh, you could, uh, you know, uh, Mark A Cruz com is my website. I actually have um, uh, literally hundreds of hours of videos uh, that you can watch uh, from different perspectives, different individuals uh, on this problem, different aspects of it. So um, I actually tell my colleagues, feel free to go onto my website. And take that stuff, populate your own website, let's spread the word. Uh, but that's one way, and, and you can get a hold of me. And, and, and also, uh, I uh, with my partner uh, and, and a group of faculty, we actually teach uh, a mini residency on on how to actually uh, manage this complex problem. And um, that's www.airwaycollaborative.com. That's another way. Uh, of getting uh, a hold of us Um, and so there are a lot of us out there that are are, 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 like I say chopping wood just trying to get out and and educate the public and I'm appreciative of the opportunity that that you've given me here uh, and asking me to uh, to do this podcast to um, get the word out so uh, thank you thank you for what you do yeah no problem